This is the Celtic Club Melbourne podcast, a podcast about Melbourne's Irish community brought to you by the Celtic Club Melbourne. Welcome to the July episode. I'm Club Committee member Claire Murphy and it's great to have your company again. This month's guest is the Irish Minister for Diaspora and International Development, Kieran Cannon. Before we get started, a bit of housekeeping. The Celtic Club Melbourne podcast is now on Spotify, so feel free to find us there and don't forget to mention us to your friends who use Spotify podcasts. The new financial year is a good time to check that your Celtic Club membership is in order. You can renew at celticclub.com.au and new members can apply there too. It's my pleasure to introduce this month's guest, Kieran Cannon, TD. Minister Cannon was visiting Melbourne as part of the Global Island consultations, which the Irish government is undertaking around the world. We caught up for this chat before the minister undertook consultations with Melbourne's Irish community groups at the Celtic Metropolitan. Hello, my name is Kieran Cannon. I'm Ireland's Minister for the Diaspora and International Development. Um, I come from uh, Athenry in County Galway on the west coast of Ireland, and I'm married to Neve, and we have one son, Evan. That's me. Minister, welcome to Melbourne, and thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Now, is this your first visit to Melbourne? First visit to Australia. Really? It is, yes, yeah. Um, my brother actually lived near Melbourne in, uh, in Torquay uh, for about six years, about five years ago, but I never got a chance to visit him. So uh, my first time here, yes. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, now, um, as Booster for Diaspora, you're leading Global Island, Ireland's Global Footprint to 2025. Mm. Could you please tell us a little bit about this strategy and what the Irish government hopes to achieve? The strategy sets out to double Ireland's sphere of influence around the world by 2025 using a number of different strands. Um, and we believe it's important that a small island nation on the edge of Europe uh, should have a role to play in determining the future of this planet uh, and how it functions uh, in terms of um, uh, achieving uh, and sustaining peace, in terms of sustainability and tackling the, I suppose, the challenge of our generation, climate change. Um, and the only way you can do that is by extending uh, your network throughout the world, um, seeking to gain influence uh, in the places where it is important to gain influence at the United Nations, uh, within the European Union, uh, but also, I suppose, that thing that people call soft power through, uh, through our mission network around the world, our embassies and our concerts around the world, and also through our very, very large diaspora community around the world of 70 million people. So it's about seeking to grow our influence um, and then use that influence for the best possible effect. Great. Now, speaking of diaspora, um, you're in Australia as part of the Link Australia 2019 conference, mm. which has been going on this week. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the groups you've been engaging with yes. this week? Yeah. We are in the middle of, and it's in the context of that Global Ireland 2025 ambition, we're in the middle of, um, I suppose you'll call it a tour, <laughs> of the largest Irish communities across the world to determine from them how we can best support them in the future. And the we, we've convened meetings in Sydney, um, in uh, Canberra, and here this evening in Melbourne, um, of Irish community leaders from a really wide and diverse range of community groups. We've had, for example, the GAA, um, Irish rugby organisations, um, particularly Irish organisations looking after the welfare of uh, vulnerable members of the Irish society here in Australia, many, many support groups that work across all of the, the major cities. Um, we've had people representing the LGBTI community. Um, we've had people um, representing Irish cultural institutions like Cultus Kjolthori Erden. And we've had people who operate Irish centres, um, the focal points um, for, um, and, and points that provide a social opportunity 
for Irish communities across the country. So, and many others. It's been a very, very diverse uh, group and range of people. Those involved in business, for example, the Irish Australian Chamber of Commerce, the Lansdowne uh, Group, um, all of those, um, reflecting the diversity of the community here and um, I suppose challenging us to be able to respond to that diversity. Um, and and that's, that is a challenge and that's one of the things and we're going to be incorporating into the policy as we move forward. Yeah, it's great to see the engagement with so many diverse groups in this community. Yeah. Is there a particular role that Australia plays in Ireland's international outreach? I suppose um, the, the relationship between Australia and Ireland as countries is quite a positive one uh, because, to be frank, uh, the Irish helped to build Australia. Um, okay. Going right back um, you know, to the early, well, apart from the indigenous people who were here for thousands of years, but um, the, 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 the multicultural community, and I, I would argue that Australia is probably the most successful multicultural um, country in the world in terms of what has achieved, what it has achieved, um, and Ireland has played, and Irish people have played a huge role in that. So as you might expect, in terms of trade, in terms of um, um, education, uh, links through education, through our uh, third level institutions, um, there's been a long-standing and very positive relationship between our two countries. And that, again, uh, that's something we want to sustain, we want to grow. And I think in the context of Brexit, um, with another ally of Australia's um, deciding, the UK deciding to leave the European Union, I think it's only um, wise to expect that the relationship between Australia and Ireland will grow even further in the future. Indeed. Uh, one of the goals of Global Island is expanding Ireland's uh, presence in the Asia-Pacific region. Mm. Does Australia play a strategic role in that? It does. Um, Australia and New Zealand, um, two countries that continue to invest heavily in this region, um, who are intent on supporting more, the more vulnerable communities in this region, Pacific, particularly the Pacific Island states. Um, Ireland um, has recently published a new international development policy called A Better World. We published it in February. And one of the key four key pillars of that policy is climate action. And I'm just back from Fiji, um, where we announced a new single donor trust fund where Ireland will invest um, almost 20 million Australian dollars um, in helping island nations across the whole of the Pacific become more resilient to climate change, help them to build, uh, create the in-country capacity, uh, ex technical expertise to be able to combat climate change and the effects of climate change in their own country. That's Ireland's first uh, single donor trust fund anywhere in the world, our first investment in climate um, action in this part of the world. And um, we have, I suppose, learned from the experience of Australia and New Zealand in, in the work that they have done, because this is their region. This is the, the, the part of the world that they feel most um, responsible for. And they've, they've had a, a strong track record over the years of in, investing in the future of these um, um, very vulnerable island states across the whole of the Pacific. So we would be learning from their um, experience and their expertise in that area. Terrific work. As a minister for diaspora, could you tell us perhaps some of the most significant challenges or issues that members of diaspora around the world have raised with you? I suppose the one challenge that seems to kind of uh, consistently uh, appear in all the discussions that we've had is the issue of uh, moving from generation to generation. How do you ensure that as you trickle down through the generations um, that people's sense of Irishness, their, their Irish identity doesn't get diluted? Uh, so how, you know, um, the next generation of Irish Australians and, and subsequent generations, will they be as passionate about sustaining and strengthening and building this community as the people that have gone before them? That's not alone a challenge here in Australia, it's a challenge in the UK, it's a challenge in the US, it's a challenge in Canada. 
Um, that's certainly one challenge that has arisen consistently over all these meetings we've had. Um, I suppose the other challenge, again and again, particularly acute here in Australia, is how do you um, su- support all the different disparate groups and, and the different demographics, the different age groups, uh, you know, from the people here in Australia who are perhaps descendants of those who emigrated here during the famine, right down to the uh, college student who arrived last week with her laptop under her arm to make her impact on, 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 on the world. How do you reflect all of that diversity in, 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 in your policy making and ensure that each of those groups feels equally supported by um, the policy that we're, that we're drafting at the moment? Fantastic. Now, the Irish government has recently announced an upcoming referendum to be held potentially in October on whether or not to extend the vote in presidential president mm. elections to the Irish citizens abroad. Are yes. you able to tell us a little bit about this proposed referendum? Yes. Um, our Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar, Prime Minister, repeatedly uses the phrase global Irish nation. Uh, and he and indeed all of the Irish government are intent on building a really strong sense of a, of a, of a, a global Irish community um, and allow people to draw the conclusion that no matter where they live in the world, um, they can consider themselves to be genuinely Irish. You do not need to reside on the island of Ireland to consider yourself to be truly Irish. I think it's a very, very important in the context of the 21st century and all of the, of the technological in, innovation and communication tools that are at our disposal now, you can actually build that sense on, of a connected and interconnected global community. And I've always believed, as a Taoiseach, in, you know, we, we need to have some some symbolic, powerful milestones along the road to gener- creating that community. So the first of those milestones will be, we hope, uh, extending the right to every one of our 3.6 million citizens around the world to vote in our next presidential election, which will be in 2025. So we're having a referendum uh, in the last week in October asking for permission to extend that voting right to all of our citizens across the world. So if you're an Irish citizen, no matter where you live in the world, you can have the right to choose who is our first citizen, uh, that person who best embodies who we are as a people, that person who says to the world, this is what Ireland represents in 2025. Bearing in mind that our present, our president will travel, and the current one is travelling all over the world, um, showcasing Ireland to the world, uh, I think it's important that the Irish citizens who live across the world should have a role to play in deciding who that person is. So we'll be having that referendum at the end of October. And I would say to all your, your listeners uh, to please engage, certainly during the month of October, with their friends, with their family, with all the contacts they have back home in Ireland, uh, to ask them to vote in support of this referendum. It'll be very important to have that strong message going back to Ireland, to the Irish voting uh, voters, that the Irish community around the world thinks this is a good idea and really anxious to see you winning and see, be, see it being supported. Well, the last two referendums that Irish citizens have voted in have certainly made their mark in terms of significance and Very community so. here and in Melbourne. We've seen a fantastic mobilisation of the Irish community across the world, and I would hope to see a similar one this time around as well. I'll have no doubt you'll have that. Minister, it's been a pleasure to hear about the work that you've been doing for the Irish communities in the furthest corner of the globe from mm-hmm. Ireland. Minister, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you. The Melbourne consultations followed the Link Australia conference, which brought together 50 Irish Australians from across the country at the Irish Embassy in Canberra. Moderated by the Minister and Brendan O'Quayley, Irish Ambassador to Australia, it was a brilliant day of productive discussions, gentle sledges against rival counties, and more laughs than any other conference I've attended. If you'd like to hear more, you're in luck. Sydney-based podcast Pat Chats recorded the conference for their latest episode, so subscribe to Pat Chats wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also read about it in a great write-up by speaker Billy Cantwell in the Irish Echo, and in a written version of my conference speech published in Tintoin, which you can find in the show notes. Some updates from the Irish Film Festival, which took place in May this year. Check out Unquiet Graves director Sean Murray's Facebook page for some extra content on this doco. A Lifetime of Stories, a documentary on Irish seniors living in Sydney created by festival director Enda Murray, which premiered the festival, is now available online. And if you missed the Celtic Club-sponsored screening of The Camino Voyage, you can catch it at a screening at Cinema Nova in Carlton on July 17. Check the show notes for details on all three films. There was plenty on in Melbourne for Bloomsday this year, as Celtic Club Vice President Elaine outlines in this wrap-up. Elaine, happy Bloomsday. Happy Bloomsday, Claire. Now, what's been happening in Melbourne this Bloomsday? Well, it's been just absolutely wonderful. I went to the opening of a play called Travesties, which is a Tom Stoppard play put on by Bloomsday in Melbourne. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful production. It's at 45 downstairs. It's on for two weeks. It's just splendid. I recommend it to everybody to go and see, whether you're into Joyce or not. It's just a brilliant play. That's been wonderful. Um, today, Bloomsday in Melbourne also had their seminar with Professor Ronan McDonald and Steve Carey, who's one of the directors of the plays, who's also a very, very talented man. Um, they had a couple of samples of the play. The actors came in and did a little, you know, little um, episode, a uh, little segment for us. Um, and uh, the Swiss Club, we had it at the Swiss Club because that's where Joyce was in Zurich, um, that's where he's buried. So that was interesting because I've never been there before and that was wonderful. I had a limerick competition, sadly I did not win the bottle of whiskey. Oh, too bad, too I'm bad. sure it was superb, Elaine. Is that still on? Anyway, um, so then I came over to see my friend Deirdre Gillespie's production at The Quiet Man, which was wonderful because it's a... Uh, very much in that old Irish pub setting, um, music and readings, and I think what helped enormously was Deirdre's explanations and context that yes, she provided. Yes, agreed. Uh, because uh, that's really what I think people need with Joyce. Definitely, a, I've never a, read Joyce. He's a before. tricky read. <laughs> he is. It's, he seems far too daunting to to try a lot of the readings. But today's been fantastic because it was so accessible. Everyone found it humorous and entertaining. It was yeah. a great day. And look, I think Ulysses is a magnificent book, of course, wonderful. But we mustn't forget that Joyce also wrote lots of more, even more accessible, much more accessible <laughs> novels, um, which are also brilliant. So he's just, we're very proud to um, have an Irish author of such dandy, um, still in our midst and still such a giant. Great stuff. Thanks, Lane. Happy Bloomsday. You too. Our Instagram pick for July is at Pawsome Doctor. Dr. O'Sheen Tracy is an Irish emergency vet and volunteer wildlife vet living in Perth. His adventures around beautiful Western Australia with adorably feathered and furry colleagues have attracted almost 50,000 followers and even got a write-up in the Irish Times. He's an active campaigner around Perth, championing causes from animal adoption to marriage equality. So a big shout-out to O'Sheen. We hope to see you in Melbourne sometime. In case you're wondering, yes, those are sleigh bells you're hearing. That's because Christmas in July at the Celtic Club is just around the corner. Join us for a three-course meal and festive cheer on Saturday the 27th of July at 7pm at the Celtic Metropolitan, 42 Courtney Street, North Melbourne. Tickets are $75 per person, including a complimentary drink on arrival. To book, visit the Eventbrite link in the show notes. Finally, one of our podcast favourites, The Irish Passport, has just released the first of a two-part series on dealing with the past, which is dedicated to murdered journalist Lyra McKee. 
It's a fascinating discussion of intergenerational trauma in Northern Ireland and how those born around or after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement were by no means immune from the trauma of conflict. Presenters Tim and Naomi also discuss art and media inspired by the conflict, including poetry and the hit Netflix series Scary Girls. Now, I could go on and on about how fantastic this series is, but we'll have to leave that for another episode as I'm afraid we're out of time. Thank you for listening to the Celtic Club Melbourne podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a review on iTunes. You can get in touch with us at Celtic Club Melbourne podcast at gmail.com with your feedback. Bye for now. Sláinte.